If you could imagine being a Jewish rabbi and God calling you to Berlin, somewhere between 1941 and 1944, in the shadow of Hitler's headquarters, going out to the city of Berlin, the capital of Germany, and proclaiming, God's judgment is going to come to you. If that might bring a sense of fear or uncertainty, then you probably have some idea of how Jonah felt when God spoke to him about going to Nineveh. Assyria, the Assyrian Empire was cruel and violent. It was an enemy of Israel. And when God called Jonah to go, he really didn't want to. But Jonah teaches us a couple of very clear truths. He reminds us that the most dangerous place in the world is outside of God's will, not in God's will. And he also challenges us with the truth that you can run from God, but you can't hide. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 10. Keep your Bibles open because then we're going to slide down and finish the rest of the chapter a bit later. Jonah chapter 1, pick up in verse number 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the seas and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. And with that, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth in it. And Lord, speak to us today in your powerful name. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would hit us right where we are today. Lord, you know where our heart is. Lord, there may be some in here that are running from you. 
Lord, draw them back. Lord, there may be that are some that are running to you. And Lord, encourage them on their way. There may be some today on ministry and running with you. And Lord, may they be filled with your strength as they seek to minister in your name. Thank you, Jesus, for our time. Amen. Jonah preached about 750 years before Jesus came. He is a prophet from the northern tribes of Israel. Remember in 931 BC, the tribes split, the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and then the 10 northern tribes, and Jonah was a preacher. He was a contemporary of Hosea and Amos in his day. But God threw Jonah a curveball when God called to him and said, guess what, Jonah? I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the capital, the Assyrian Empire, and I want you to preach against it. Get up and go to Nineveh. Their wickedness has come before me. And Jonah decided at that moment, no, I would rather not. And so instead of taking off 550 miles to the northeast to go to the Assyrian capital, Jonah went south to Joppa and he caught a ship going about 2,500 miles to the west to the farthest place and the most remote place that would have been known about at that time, the city of Tarshish. And so as Jonah has this plan to go to the city of Tarshish, his goal is not just to get away from God's call to Nineveh. Notice as we look at these opening verses, verse 2 in particular and 3, where Jonah is fleeing from the Lord's presence. He is running from God. Jonah's problem is not Nineveh primarily. Jonah's problem is God. Jonah's problem is the Lord's calling in his life. And so Jonah decides he's going to run from God. And when we run from God, we recognize the danger that that puts us in. And we also recognize we can run, but we can't hide. So this morning, I want us to think about running from God. And there are three truths that I want us to gain from this this morning as we think about running from God. First off, as we think about running from God, running from God reveals your heart. Running from God reveals your heart. Jonah, when he received the call to go to Nineveh, it's interesting. The call was, Jonah, get up and go. And he got up and he went the other direction. He got up all right, but he went the other way. And what we find is that Jonah had a problem in his heart. He he really came to this point of recognizing, hey, what's going on here? And I've got some challenges with this. And as Jonah looks and decides he's going to go the other direction, he gets up and he goes, and he not only goes, but he goes from the Lord's presence. I think there are four challenges of our heart that we can see. First off, there's the arrogance of our heart that comes to this question, is God's will really best? I mean, the arrogance of our heart is is that, does God really know what's best in this situation in my life? I mean, I see God's plan over here and I know his call is undeniable. I know his call is very clear. But then here's my plan over here. And I kind of like my plan a little bit more. I love what Isaiah 45, 9 says. Woe to the one who argues with his maker. 
<laughs> Woe to the one. Woe to the one who argues with the one who made you and created you. But Jonah is at this point of saying, look, what about my heart? Can't I do what I want? God's calling me over here, but I really want to go over here. So does God really know best? This is the question Adam and Eve faced in the Garden of Eden. God, you told us we could eat all this, but Lord, what about this tree over here? Does God really know best? There's not only the arrogance of his heart, but there's the prejudice of his heart. Could God really care about those people, those Ninevites, those Assyrians over there? The prejudice of his heart. He makes this very clear in Jonah chapter 4 when he's arguing with God about why he didn't want to go to, to Nineveh in the first place. Because he knew that God was a God who would show compassion if they turned. And Jonah did not want compassion and grace on the Assyrian Empire and on Nineveh. He did not want that at all. Matter of fact, for Jonah, look, I, God, I'll receive grace... I'll receive salvation, but I don't want to give it to those folks over there. I I don't want to do that over there. I don't want to have anything to do with those folks over there. Lord, they're violent. They're cruel. They behead people. They, they are, are violent. And, and, and Lord, there are things that they do are unimaginable. And God, I don't want you to save them. Instead, if you want a message of judgment to go to them, just judge them. I mean, just send a meteor out of the sky and just knock them all out. God, bring your judgment upon them. But he didn't want to go because he knew that if he went, there was a chance God might show grace. And for Jonah, grace for me, but not grace for thee. Hey, we got to be careful on that. In our own heart, we can come to that place where, yeah, it's a, I, I want to be saved. But man, I don't want to be discomforted to share that with anyone else. There's the arrogance of his heart and the prejudice of his heart clearly on display. As as we look again, Jonah, going from the Lord's presence, we think about the allegiance of his heart. The Lord says, go. And the allegiance of his heart says, What if I just don't really want to do what God wants me to do? What if I don't really like God's plan? So the allegiance of my heart is, is when God gives me that plan, do I say, yes, Lord, or do I say, I don't like your plan, I'd rather be more devoted to me than you? That's really what this comes down to. And Jonah, when he gets up and flees, notice, he is not fleeing Nineveh, he is fleeing the Lord's presence. He is fleeing the Lord. He's fleeing God. And I find this quite, quite breathtaking that Jonah, the prophet, who would know and understand that God is the God who made the heavens and the land and the sky, would then get on a boat and think, I'm going to get away from God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm moving away. Psalm 139, David In speaking, says in Psalm 139, verse number 7, Where can I go to escape your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
His heart says, Lord, I don't like your plan. I don't want to do God's plan. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. And then ultimately we see the resistance of his heart says, can I get away from God? Can I get away from God? Now, there's a TV show that I, I kind of like watching police shows and Dateline and some of those kinds of things. But there's a show that, that I've watched, more of a kind of a documentary show, but, but quite interesting. It's called... I almost got away with it. It's, it's about guys that uh, were arrested. They were criminals. They were arrested. And either they ran out of the courthouse or they escaped from prison. But the key word in that is almost. Because these guys are now giving a documentary while they're in their prison clothes of how they almost got away with it and what they did and how they avoided the police for this period of time and, and, and what they did over here and how this worked out over here. But the picture is always almost. They never fully got away with it because they're now incarcerated telling their story. You know, the truth of the matter is, is this really wouldn't be a great TV show with God. It would be... I didn't for one millisecond even have any chance of getting away with it. God sees it all. God knows it all. And it's interesting, again, that he would know about the omnipresence of God because he would surely know Psalm 139. He is a preacher of God's word. And he would know he couldn't flee from God's spirit. He would know that there was no place that they could go. He would know and understand that the Lord is the Lord who made the heavens. And he's the one who made the seas. And what does he do? He takes off running and he gets on the sea. Did you know if he was just going to go straight up to Assyria, to, the, to Nineveh, there would have been no sea. It's just a walk. All you need is feet. But Jonah decides, hey, I'm not only going to do that. I'm hitching a boat. And let me just share one other thing as we think about the boat. When you think about it, he gets down to Joppa and he finds a boat going to Tarshish. I will just tell you, whenever you're running from God, the devil will provide you a boat. And you can always come to this place in your mind where you can rationalize this. Oh, there just happened to be a boat down there and it happened to be going this way. And so I just happened to take it. The picture is, is running from God reveals our heart. Is our heart arrogant? Is our heart prejudiced? Is our, our heart more dedicated to self? Is our heart resistant to the things of God? Running from God reveals our heart. But second thing that we, truth that we find in this passage is, is that running from God invites God's discipline. Running from God invites God's discipline. Now, what we find is, is that, that Jonah is going to run and Jonah is going to try to, to hide, but you can't hide from God. So that God is going to be the one who clearly churns up this storm. And God is the one who's going to begin to move in Jonah's life to draw him back. God's at work here. You know, as we think about storms in life, all of us face them. All of us are going to face storms in life. And there are two types of storms that we can find. There are storms of discipleship where God puts us into situations and circumstances that help us to see his strength and show his son. 
In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the disciples to get into a boat. They get into the boat. Jesus goes to sleep in the boat. And there's a storm and everyone is terrified. And they wake Jesus up in their faithlessness. And as they wake Jesus up, Jesus rebukes them for their faithfulness and then calms, uh, then proclaims calmness over the wind and the waves. And they marvel at him. That's a storm of discipleship. They were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. They were following what Jesus told them to do. They were in the boat with Jesus. There's no better place to be. You're in the boat with Jesus. That's a storm of discipleship. And Jesus showed them he has power over nature. But there's not only storms of discipleship that come into our life, but there are storms of discipline that come into our life. And storms of discipline come into our life as God seeks to move and get our attention. God moves when we get out of bounds. God begins to to work in, in ways through his spirit and through his power and through his might and even through circumstances to bring us to a place where he brings conviction on our heart. That's the challenge. This is a storm of discipline that Jonah is facing. And all of us, when we get out of God's will, will face storms of discipline. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, It says, my son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The Lord disciplines us because he loves us and he punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You know what the Lord says? To us as believers, when we get off course and out of his will, if there is not a sense of conviction of the Spirit and a sense of discipline from the Lord, then we better question, do I really know him or not? Because here it tells us that the Lord does not discipline the devil's kids. He says, if you don't experience discipline, then you're illegitimate. Now, there is a truth in which God will bring discipline out of his love for us as believers. But God will bring his wrath upon the world or sometimes just allow folks to sow their own seeds and do their own thing and just let them go. Not for us. Not for his children. He even gives the picture. Parents. Fathers. Do you not discipline your kids because you love them? Well, God loves you more than your parents. God loves those children, my children, more than I can love my children. The picture is there are storms of discipline that come. Some of you today may be running from God, and you may be facing a storm of discipline. Some of you may be right in God's will, and you're going through a storm of discipleship where the Lord is showing himself strong, and he wants to exalt the Savior in your life. We all face storms. If you're in a storm of discipline today, then today is the day you need to repent and turn. But ultimately, what we find in storms of discipline is that God uses storms of discipline as storms of mercy. 
Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us and he is merciful to us. Why do you discipline your children when they're trying to run out into the street? Because you want to show mercy and discipline upon them so that they don't get killed. Storms of mercy. Timothy Keller tells a story. It's a fable he read. And the story has a a wicked witch in it. And the wicked witch has a, a comfy home out in the deep area of the forest. And there in the deep area of the forest, she can welcome guests who come in. One day, a handsome young man comes by her home as he's traveling through the forest, and he sees a bunch of lawn figurines and doesn't think much of it, and he goes on in. And what he doesn't know is the witch has a magic bed. And if you are in the bed at sunrise, when the sun comes up, then you turn to stone, and she makes you one of those lawn ornaments he comes to the house he has a nice meal and he is about to be taken back to this comfy magic bed but a young servant who was under no power to free herself from the wicked witch has taken his bed and filled it with sticks and stones and thorns And as the young man lies in the bed, it's uncomfortable. And he throws some sticks out. And he throws some rocks out. And he pulls some thorns out of his back. And But there just seems to be more and more and more. And every time he rolls over, there's another poke. And and there's another prod. And there's finally before the sun rises, he gets up and he leaves. And he complains about how uncomfortable the bed is and how the this was just a horrible night and the young servant girl says the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable night's sleep would have brought upon you he would have been another lawn ornament she said this these were my sticks and stones of love. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God takes our heart, which was of stone, and under the new covenant, under the work of Jesus, gives us a heart that is made of flesh so that we can feel and we can know when God begins to put the squeeze on us, when God begins to poke us through the working of his spirit, when God begins to prod us just a little bit to say, hey, you're off course here. And because we have that heart of flesh, we can stay sensitive to him, knowing that he disciplines us because he ultimately loves us. Running from God reveals our heart. Running from God invites God's discipline. But the third thing that we find is running from God impacts lives. Running from God impacts lives. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows... 
that shall he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh shall by the flesh reap destruction. And he who sows to the spirit shall by the spirit reap life everlasting. What does God tell us here? What we reap or what we sow, we are also going to reap. And so many folks say, hey, look, I want to sow my wild oats. I want to sow a life of sin. This looks so much fun. I'm going to go do this. And the challenge is, is God gives us the freedom to act, but we don't get to choose the consequences. And that's what Paul is speaking about when it comes to the book of Galatians. Yes, God does give you freedom. You can go make some awful, sinful, horrendous choices today. You can choose to do that. But you don't get to choose the consequences. And what we find here is Jonah runs from God by his choice. But he doesn't get to choose the consequences. Because when we run from God, it impacts others. It impacts the lives of others. It it impacted the, the life of these sailors. They were terrified. You can imagine these men, probably young, strong men, probably with young families at home, their livelihood on the line. They have already taken the cargo and they have thrown it overboard. They get paid to deliver cargo. When the cargo doesn't show up, they don't get paid. Now it's gone beyond cargo, it's to their own lives. We're not sure we're even going to make it at this point. And these guys are living in absolute fear, terrified because of the sinful choice of Jonah. Parents, as we drive the car of our family, we can make a lot of choices. But there are a lot of consequences that are going to come from the back seat of that car if we're not careful. Husband, you, you might be able to sneak around and do this or that, but anytime this relationship is not right, then that marriage relationship is not going to be right. Anytime this relationship is not right, our family relationship is not going to be right. Anytime this relationship is not right, then my church relationships are not going to be right. Now, you can fool some people. I mean, Jonah got on board and, and probably fooled everybody. Man, I'm headed to Tarshish. I'm, I'm going to look for a remote place just to get away, to clear my head, to do what I want to do. And little did he know, he was leading that whole ship into a terrifying moment of tragedy disaster, and with an inch of death. These guys are crying out to their gods. Then they wake Jonah up and say, dude, what are you doing? Where are you from? What's your business? They cast the lots. They fall on Jonah. Again, the lots are in obedience to God. Jonah is in disobedience to God. And he tells them, hey, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The Lord who made the heavens and the seas. Don't underestimate the personal, quote, private sins of your life because they are not personal, nor are they private. They have ramifications that go beyond. And I can tell you, Pastor Jerry can tell you, we've seen it. We've seen choices that have devastated families. 
that have busted them wide open. Be careful. Running from God impacts the lives of others. But running from God also impacts your own life. It impacts your life. And Jonah, as we look at this chapter, he is there in the storm. And now he's answering to these sailors who are saying, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And what do they do? They care more about Jonah than Jonah cares about them. Jonah's the man of God here. And they care so much, they said, man, we're just going to keep rowing. We're going to keep fighting this storm. We're going to keep pressing on them. We're going to try to save you, bud. I mean, we're going to try to hold on, and they just can't. And then Jonah, in his absolute uncaring attitude toward those sailors, then says, throw me overboard. It's almost like at this point, he says, I don't want to take personal responsibility and jump overboard. Why didn't he just jump? I want you to throw me overboard. And these guys are saying, God, now he's laid this guilt on us. Now this Jonah monkey's on my back. Are we going to be at fault here? God, don't hold his blood on our account. They make a sacrifice. And they throw Jonah in, and when Jonah hits the water, the Lord has appointed a great fish. Storms of discipline and storms of mercy. This is a picture and a portrayal that even sight and sound could not handle in Branson. That moment, Jonah begins to go down and a giant fish takes him in and in the darkness and in the stench and with the seaweed, Jonah cries out in chapter two, verse number two, in distress. Running from God always brings God's discipline and always brings distress. Adam and Eve learned this. When they saw that the fruit was good for food, and it looked delightful, and they took and ate of it, and then they realized their nakedness and their sin. It looked so good. Jonah's plan seemed so smart. God told him to go 550 miles one way. He went 2,500 the other. But God was there. And you can run, but you can't hide. And the most dangerous place in the world is outside of God's will. With that, let's pray. I don't know where you are today. But I want to tell you, the most dangerous place in the world is outside of God's will. And God's speaking to some of you today. And he's saying, come home. My discipline may get more severe as you resist more and more. Come home. Lord, I pray that you take these next moments... Lord, that you would move.
And Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus or today who may be running from Jesus, may be running from your call, Lord, we know it's your kindness that leads to repentance, so I pray for your kindness, but I pray for a sure hand of your conviction in your name. Amen. But have you looked this way just for a moment before we sing? Some of you may be running today. You're running from the person of Jesus and the free gift of salvation. You know you got sin in your life. You know that your good's not going to outweigh your bad. You're not certain if you, if you would go to heaven and you die. And some of you are on the run from Jesus today. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to make it that way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not about your religious denomination and not about the religious experiences that you've had, whether you've been baptized or had communion or you went to classes or you've got perfect attendance at church or you've been a really nice guy or you've been a really caring woman. The point is, is all of us are disqualified from heaven and some of you may be on the run from Jesus today. Some of you who know Jesus may be on the run and saying, yeah, I've never gone public with my faith and followed the Lord and believers' baptism. You're on the run today. Some of you are on the run today and God's saying, look, man, I've gifted you in this way and I want you to serve. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Some of you are on the run today and say, give, man, I don't want to give. I don't want to have to give up my money or change my life. I don't want to, I don't want, some of you may be on the run today. Some of you, God's laid somebody on your heart and you're on the run today. I want to tell you, there's only one place that you'll find peace. Peace and safety is found in the will of God because we know we're in his hand. We're safe not just for life but for eternity.